All right, let's go into the Word of God. You know, we're, we're, we're here in the book of Luke for 2023, at least in this season, and I entitled my sermon, Why Do You Call Jesus Lord? Because that's a question I would like to ask all of us here today. And actually, to, truth be told, it's actually a question I asked myself for the last three weeks as I prepared for my sermon. Actually, why do I call Jesus Lord? Why do you call Jesus Lord? You know, the, the worst thing that, that can ever happen to me, the worst thing that can ever happen to me is one day if I'm no longer here and Jesus calls me back and then I go and appear before him and then I say, hi Jesus, and he goes to me, uh, who are you? I don't know you. Why do you call me Lord? Why do you call me Jesus? Oh man, because I'm telling you, when that happens, um, there is no second chance because we've received all our chances on here on earth. So the good question to ask this morning is, actually, why do you call Jesus Lord? So as I unpackage Luke chapter 6, I want us all to uh, uh, um, understand and maybe wrestle with the question just like I have wrestled with the question in the last three weeks. So Luke chapter 6 starts this way. Actually, Luke chapter 5 and Luke chapter 6 is part of a follow me Jesus discipleship chapters. So Luke chapter 5 started with Jesus calling on Peter uh, uh, to follow him. So he did the miracle in the boat, the miracle of the catch, the fish and everything, and then follow him. Two weeks ago, we preached about it. So Peter followed him. Then there's a series of Jesus did this miracle, this miracle, this miracle. There's three. Then Jesus again started with the 12 apostles, come and follow me. So actually, if you look at the book of Luke chapter 5 and chapter 6, it is all about following Jesus. It is literally the blueprint of what do we do to follow Jesus? What should we do? What do we need to do to be followers of Jesus? So today as I preach, please ask yourself the question, and everybody should always ask yourself the question, are you following Jesus? Because I tell you what, if you are not following Jesus, then by default you are following something or someone else. So you've got to always make sure that you're on the right track and on the right path, that you are following Jesus and not someone or something else. Are you following Jesus? You see, Luke chapter 6 starts with a parable, but then it continues to the 12 apostles, the appointment of the 12 apostles. So here in the book of Matthew, there is the Sermon on the Mount, but in the book of Luke, it's called the Sermon of the Plains because Jesus actually walks down to the plain and then he preached, all right? So what is the difference between Sermon of the Mount and Sermon of the Plain? The content is a little bit about, about the same, but in the book of Luke, you get more specifically the woes, the dangers, the, the exclamations of the sermons that Matthew just does not seem to want to write that in the book of Matthew. So it's very interesting, and I want to study it a little bit. But before I go on, I noticed that in the book of Luke, that thousands and multitudes and multitudes of people were following Jesus. And so I asked Jesus, why pick 12? You could have picked 12,000. You could have started a revolution with 12,000 men. Why only pick 12 to start off with? By the way, 12 already started a revolution that lasted uh, for centuries, right? So you, if you, Jesus, if you pick 12,000 people, man, I don't know what this world would look like. Why only 12? But then Jesus said, if you look at the passage, multitudes of people were following Jesus. But you, you study why. Jesus actually said why. They were following him because there were demons in them and they wanted it cast out. 
They were following him because they were sick and they wanted to be healed. They were following them because they were hungry and they wanted to be fed. They were following him because they, they were oppressed by the Romans and they wanted to be not oppressed. They wanted to have freedom. And there are many reasons why people follow Jesus. But then Jesus turns around in the book of Luke and says, even though there are thousands of people listening to me, I only want to address my disciples. Jesus is only addressing his disciples when he mentions whatever I'm going to say later on. It's only his disciples. And I imagine today that there's so many people out in this world that if Jesus were actually to be here, like, like he was 2,000 years ago, and if he could feed you, he could perform miracles, I believe there will be millions. There's 8 billion people in this world. I believe there will be hundreds of millions of people following Jesus. But the question is not how many people know about Jesus, but how many of them would follow Jesus all the way? And it's a question I want to ask you. How many of you would follow Jesus all the way of your life? You leave the feeding, you leave the miracles, you leave the healing behind, and you would follow the man. You know, I take that example, if it's difficult to understand, which I myself had to process it, I take this example of, I, I, I still remember my biology teacher, my English teacher, and my ad maths teacher from my high school. I still do. I still remember my English teacher for that matter. Actually, actually I remember all my teachers. My science teacher, I remember him the most because he was a Fuchao like me. How can you forget a fellow Fuchao teacher? Um, he had an accent as well. Um, but I remember all my teachers. At the end of the day, we listen to our teachers. Uh, uh, they teach us something. They're good. We call them teacher. We say, good morning, teacher. We respect them. We listen to them. We, they are, we are coached by them in order to pass our exams. Isn't that the reason why we follow our teachers? I can remember who they are. But up to today, trust me when I tell you, I don't follow them. I don't know what their values are. I don't know what they stand for in their life. I don't know what their principles are. I don't know how they raise their children. I don't know what they live by. What commandment do they live by? I don't follow them, but I remember them. And sometimes we could fall under the same category as Christians. We know about Jesus. We like Him. We want to take an exam, so we pray. We want this thing, so we pray. But how many of us would actually follow Jesus and follow His rules, His values, His systems, His commandments? And let's study it today. Are you following Jesus? So to answer this question, you know, I wrestled with this passage for three weeks because it's not an easy passage to preach. Why? Because every verse is a sermon in itself. I don't know how to preach this because I study every verse. is literally, okay, we can go one whole year just on Luke 6 alone. Shall we? No, okay, and let's, let's, do, let's do one week at a time. How about that? Next week is Luke 7, don't worry. Um, um, so, so for me, I go, how do I, how do I preach this? Such a rich passage. And then I, I, you know, the Holy Spirit led me to what I want to say today. The first section, the blessings and the woes. How are we following Jesus? So when he turns to his disciples after all the miracles, after the casting out the demons, after the feeding, he turns to his disciples and he says, there are blessings and there are woes. And here is the categorization of them. Blessed are you who are poor. Blessed are you who hunger. Blessed are you who weep. Blessed are you who are hated. Then in just unique to Luke, Luke says, woe are you who are rich. Woe are you who are well fed. Woe are you who laugh. And woe are you who are loved. I, wanna, I, I thought I need to mention this because I want to say there is nothing wrong with laughing and being well fed and loved by this world and nothing wrong with being rich. Is that okay? I want to make it very clear that Jesus is not cursing the rich and blessing all the poor people. Like that, we might as well all be poor, 
all right, so that we can get blessed by Jesus. You see, that's not the point. It's not about financial status. When Jesus looks at us, he does not look at the content of our bank account, but he looks at the content of our heart. That is how Jesus looks at us. And if you look at that through the lens of this passage, you can easily see that poor and rich is all about the content and the condition of your heart. Are you poor in spirit or are you already rich in spirit? So I, I categorize all this in four H's. Humility, hunger, humanity, and honor. Very quickly, I want to go through this. You see, the, the poor in spirit and rich in spirit is humility. If you are poor in spirit, it just, you, it's like a poor person. I don't have enough. I don't have enough food. I don't know when is the next time I'm going to have food on the table. So I always need Jesus. I always need Jesus to help me and to feed me. I'm humble enough to ask because I don't have enough. But if you're rich in spirit, you will know that actually I have enough. I don't know. Like how many, I don't know how many of here are rich enough to own a private jet. Like if you want to fly somewhere, you got a private jet. If you want to eat something, KVR is what you eat every day and you can afford it. You know, you're well fed, you're rich, you don't need anything and therefore you don't need Jesus. So Jesus says to my disciples, to his disciples, you need to have a posture of humility before him to say, God, I, I don't have it. A lot of us, we don't have that. You need to have a posture of hunger towards Him. That I, I'm hungry for you, Jesus. I'm not satisfied with the status quo, right? Like how many of us can safely say that I'm not satisfied with where I am now, my, spiritually, my spirituality now. I am not satisfied. So if you pray this much and you talk to God this much, I'm not satisfied. I want more of you, Jesus. Now that's the hunger that God is trying to evoke out of you. How many of us have our humanity in check, our empathy, our compassion for people. That's why in SIBKL, we've got YGG weekend last week, and we got blessed weekend coming up, because we are also reaching out to the community, the poor students, uh, the refugees that are out there, because at the end of the day, if you sit through the sermon last weekend, and you hear that students are coming to school hungry, and they go home to no parents, and they're still hungry, and the only food they get to eat in a day is white plain rice with a little bit of ketchup. And if that does not move your heart to compassion and empathy, then you've got to question yourself. Are you following an empathetic, compassionate Jesus? Or are you just apathetic? It does not bother you at all. Jesus is asking, where is your humanity? And of course, lastly, honour. Where is your bonus and courage to say that I am a Christian in this age? How many of us dare? If somebody in your office asks you, like, what religion are you? Are you Buddhist? Are you Buddhist? Are you Christian? Whatever it may be. And how many of us would say, I am a Christian and you're proud of it in your workplace? And you are definitely, I can say, you might be the minority in your office, right? But how many of us would still say and stand up, I am a Christian and therefore I don't do this? and I don't do that. How many of us are bold? And Jesus is saying, if you follow me, if you follow me, then you must adopt these postures. My disciples are humble. My disciples are hungry. My disciples have their humanity. My disciples have their honour and honours Jesus. So my question is, does your heart follow Jesus? Because sometimes our hands will follow Jesus. Sometimes we can give but our heart's not in the giving. Sometimes we can serve, but our heart's not in the serving. And God is saying, I'm interested only in your heart because where your heart is, there your treasure will lie. So I question this, if you follow Jesus, does your heart follow Jesus? Does the desires of your heart follow Jesus? Or is it just 
another to-do list for you. I want to move on. You see, as I ask God this question, what about me, Jesus? Where is my heart in all this? How do I know that I'm following after you and my heart is in the right place? And Jesus says, you read on. I will tell you. Because later on, from verse 27 all the way to verse 42, Jesus gives a list of do's and don'ts. And the list gets pretty lengthy, but I'll sum it up here. He gives a list on do's and don'ts, what you should be doing as a Christian and what you should not be doing as a Christian. Let me read it out very fast. Number one, do you love your enemies? Do you do good to those who hate you? Do you bless those who curse you? Do you pray for those who use you? If you are slapped, will you turn the other cheek? If you are stolen from, if somebody steals from you, will you give your shirt instead? Will you give to everyone who asks? You know, I stopped on verse 30 for a long time in my own quiet time. I say, God, you didn't say anyone. You didn't say someone. You say everyone. So if everybody asks of me, I have to give. God says, yes. The word is everyone. So will you give to everyone who asks? If someone takes, don't ask it back. That's a tough one. If someone took something from you, you don't ask it back. Do to others as you would like them to do unto you. Will you lend without expecting returns? Will you be merciful like God is merciful? You do not judge lest you be judged. You do not condemn lest you be condemned. You forgive lest you be forgiven. You will give and it will be given unto you. You are merciful like God the Father. For the measure you use, it will be measured unto you. You know, that's a very scary verse, all in red. For the measure you use, it will be measured unto you. If you sow in disobedience, if you sow in unforgiveness, it will be measured unto you. I wrestled with this. God, what does this mean? Aren't you a merciful God, loving God? I wish I had time to go into that, but I won't go into that today. That's of another time. But if you take a look at this list, it's, we read this all the time as Christians, don't we? Oh, it's easy. Yes, love your enemies. Yes, I know, I know, I'm a Christian. I've been a Christian for 39 years. I know, love my enemies. Do good to those who hate me. Do good. I know, I know. But how many of us really know and live it out? Let me give you, let me give you an example. Um, you know, in this world nowadays, days, um, there's a lot of cultural trends that are trending. And I know you know, because we're all online now these days, especially after the pandemic, right? Like there is a current trend that I've been tracking a lot because I'm intrigued by this trend. It's called the cancel culture. You, can, you know the cancel culture? Are we all updated with the cancel culture? Now, if you don't know what the cancel culture is, basically in a nutshell, and I know some of you will be like, cancel culture has different definitions. It depends on different era that you're gonna, okay, I know, I know, I know. I can go detailed, but I just blanket it for me. I said, okay, cancel culture is if I don't agree with you, I will rally my people to go against you. That's a cancer culture. It means I'm going to cancel you out. All right? It started with a love song in 1981. I don't know who sang it, but your love is cancelled. If you know that song, then uh, you... <laughs> Anybody know that song? Your love is cancelled? Nobody? That's okay. Good people. Holy people. Holy nation. All right? Um, um, royal priesthood. Um, but it started that way. You see, the most famous cancer culture is, uh, everybody knows, I mean, there's many, I mean, I could name Chrissy Teigen, that's cancer culture, but uh, uh, let, let's, let's talk about Will Smith. How about that? See, Will Smith last year, one year ago at the Oscars, he, he, um, he, he slapped somebody. And I guess Chris Rock was a Christian. He did not, he, he did not, turn, he was not a Christian. He didn't turn the other cheek, but at least he didn't slap back. Um, but Will Smith, so after he did that, a lot of people canceled him. 
saying that I don't agree with your ethics, I don't agree with what you did, so I'm, I, I'm not against you, I'm against you now, I don't want to watch your movies anymore, I don't endorse you anymore, nobody wants to cast him anymore, and he's like a pariah for one whole year. And he's not the only one going through cancer culture. There are many, many more people out there that have been cancelled by people online because just because I do not agree with you. Let me give you a few blatant examples. If you, if, I'm just going to be bold and I'm going to say it. If you are a homosexual, and you are also professed to be a Christian, you may feel like you have been cancelled by the church because, hey, we're, we're not for it. But if you're on the church side and you want to, you know, take a stand against it and you go, hey, by the way, we don't agree with this. So if you fall under this, this category, we're going to cancel you out. We don't want to mix with people like you. And you know what? It saddens me when I see it happening in England. It saddens me when I see it happening in Australia or in America because I tell you what, this is not biblical. It is not a theologically Jesus-following type of culture. Because I tell you what, if we fall under that category, Jesus has already said that you love people. You don't cancel them out. Can you imagine if Jesus comes to you and says, I see that you sin, you are cancelled in the kingdom of God. Oh my gosh, we would stand no chance. There will be nobody in the church. There will be nobody in the kingdom of God because 100% nobody would ever make it. So how can cancel culture be part of a Christian religion? But so many of us, we jump on the bandwagon and because of emotions, we agree with people. We don't like you. I don't like your, your, your beliefs. I cancel you. So a lot of people, we stand on this side. I don't agree with abortion. I don't agree with homosexuality. I don't agree with this. I'm going to cancel everybody that agrees. And everybody who stands on this side to say, hey, you know, we've got to be a bit more humane. We've got to be a bit more human rightist. I, I support abortion. I support homosexuality. I'm going to cancel everybody on that side. And we fight till the cows come home. And it's so sad when in Christian circles, we're also fighting over this. When Jesus has already said, love, love. Where is the love in the church? Why are we taking the cultures of the world and we're bringing that into the church and then we say that this is godly, this is holy? When Jesus, I don't read anywhere that Jesus cancelled anybody out. The only thing that Jesus has extremely done is he rebukes and he corrects the Pharisees of the law. But does he cancel them out? No. Does he not still go to their house and supper with them? Yes. Does he still not talk to them? Yes. Does he still not challenge their beliefs? Yes, but he loves them nonetheless. He cares for them nonetheless. He's moved with compassion when Jairus' daughter was sick. Jairus was a Jew. He was a learned Jew. He probably fell under the three categories of Pharisees, Sadducees, and... Um... Yes, thank you. My, my suddenly I go blank. He probably fell under the category, but did Jesus still go to his house? Yes. You see, if we want to follow Jesus, we still love. Now, that is not easy. Because sometimes we as humans, we have allowed the things of the super world to creep into our lives. But you say, okay, you know what, Pastor Isaac, don't worry. I've never cancelled Will Smith. I still watch King Richard and Emancipation, all right? I still watch his movies, it's all right. I still like Man in Black. I think it's cool, all right? I never cancelled. Like, I don't fall in this category. Okay, fine. I hear you. I hear you. I don't have enemies, Pastor. So this verse is fine with me. I don't have anybody who hates me, Pastor. So this verse is fine with me. I don't need to forgive anybody because I don't, I'm not offended by anybody. So this verse is fine with me. I say, okay, all right, all right. Mm -hmm. Let's go deeper. Because sometimes the word enemies can be your spouse. 
I just got a bit deeper. Not, not this, my spouse is beautiful. <laughs> so she wasn't at the second service. I was harder on that service. But my spouse is beautiful. She's lovely. She's, she's always by my side, you know, so beautiful. Um, but sometimes, sometimes our enemies could be us. Like how, how hard is it sometimes for us to forgive? It's easier to forgive our enemies, right? Oh, it's easier for you to forgive. If I offend you today, it's easier for you to forgive me than your spouse that offended you. And sometimes we hold a grudge for 15 years until the other person has no clue what you're talking about. And then 15 years ago, and you go, what? I can't even remember 15 days ago what I ate. What are we talking 50? Sometimes we, go, we, can't, we can't love. And the moment that becomes a barrier, how can we do good to those, you know, uh, who don't like us? Maybe, was, maybe some of us are going through your youth, your sons, your sons, your daughters. I understand teenage years that they will say they hate you. They say they don't like you. They may not agree with you. Can you still bring yourself to do good even though they, they don't like you, they hate you? All right? Isn't it difficult? But let's leave family aside. Let's talk about country. Let's talk about the last one week or two where a lot of rhetorics have been going online. I am sure you know what I'm talking about. A lot of political sentiments have been riled up in at least two or three weeks, especially in the recent days, when our PM makes a speech. Whatever he says, now I'm not here to support PM or against PM, I'm not here to curate his speech, neither am I going to diagnose whether his speech is right or wrong. This is not about the speech. This is about the fact that the moment it happened, there are pockets of people that would say things about the church that would evoke race and evoke religion and say something about the church of God, something about Christians. They would evoke Christianity and say, therefore, these Christians are one, two, three, X, Y, Z. You Christians are like that, blah, 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 blah. And how many of us, when we read of it or when we hear of it, we start to get emotional and then we use our mouth to say certain things. And then we start to say things back to the politicians or the people making the speeches that they can't hear us, but we know Jesus can hear us, but we still say it, we know our friends can hear us. Or oh, how many of us have taken to our thumbs to be thumb warriors for our, you know what I mean, right? To be thumb warriors for our WhatsApps or our Facebook posts, or if you're younger, Instagram posts, or if you're even younger, whatever it is, okay? Um, how many of us have taken online to say things that we're not supposed to say? How many of us find it difficult to pray for people who persecute us? How many of us find it difficult to bless? You see, now this passage then take a different spin when you put people that are aggressively coming against you and to say that nobody is allowed to cross into borders in our interfaith things. You know what I'm saying. And then you go, you rile up your sentiments. How dare you? How dare you? I have my rights as well. I have my rights as well. Why are you always against me? I'm a Chinese. I'm an Indian. Why are you always against? And you get frustrated and you say things that you're not supposed to say. And Jesus says, are you not supposed to follow me? And when I look at scriptures, and trust me, I looked at scriptures, Jesus never once 
uttered a word against the Roman government. But instead, he says, give unto Caesar what belongs to Caesar. Instead, in, in, in Romans chapter 13, he says, submit to government authorities because that is right by the eyes of God. Instead, Jesus went about and he never, never went against the authorities of this world, whether they are good, whether they are bad, or whether they are corrupt. And if we are going to follow Jesus, and if we claim to be Christians, and we claim to be followers of Christ all the way, we don't only just profess it with our mouth, but we're going to have to profess it with our hearts and our actions too. And I'm going to call the church. We are not going to join the cultures of the world to cancel our government or to cancel the opposition. We're not going to cancel anybody. We're not going to join the cultures of the world that we're also going to curse back. We're going to fight back. We're going to go online and we're going to fight them back and we're going to say, I demand my right. But instead, we're going to be having a godly kingdom-minded culture to say, Jesus, when you say love your enemies and bless them and pray for them and in the name of Jesus proclaim, declare godly things over them, we are going to be a church that follows Jesus and says, I will bless those who persecute me. I will do good to those who hate me. And believe me, when we stand up for Jesus, there will be somebody who hates us. Am I not right? There will be somebody who come up against us, not because we are bad, but because of the King Jesus that we stand for. And we will be that church. Because I believe in SIBKL, we are a church that will bless. We are a church that will pray for our enemies. Am I right, church? Am I right, church? And if you believe you are that, if you believe you are a follower of Jesus, I want, to, I want you to invite you to join me in two to three minutes of prayer because we want to pray for our country. Is that okay? Could we stand in prayer? We're going to profess to do what Jesus called us to do. We're not just going to talk about it. We're just not going to say it. It's not going to be a catchphrase and you put it on your wall at home, but we're going to live it out. Amen, church? Can we just join me in praying in tongues for just one to two minutes to build your spirit, man, and pray for this country. Love your country in the spirit. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Jesus. We welcome you here, Jesus. Thank you, Jesus, for you are a good God. You love Malaysia, Lord Jesus Christ. You love Malaysians, Lord Jesus Christ. You are a God of love. You are a God of peace. So we right now proclaim the Jehovah Shalom, the God of peace over this country, Father Lord Jesus Christ. We thank you, Father God, that we invite the God of peace over, our, over every state, over every border, over every race and every religion in this country, Father God. In the name of Jesus, we bless our government, Father God. Give them wisdom, Lord Jesus, to do the right thing the righteous things in the eyes of God. We proclaim in the name of Jesus that our government is an 
integrous government. They have integrity, Lord Jesus Christ. They will do what is right before your eyes. And when we honour you and when they honour you, Father God, you honour this country, Lord Jesus Christ. We thank you for this government, Father God. They will not act in fear. They will not act in prejudice. They will not act in hatred. They will not sow any discord or any dissension, Father God, because this government is a government of peace. This government is a government of unity. This government is a government who blesses and who loves the people, Father God. They will love the people. They will love all race. They will love all religion. They will love this nation, Father God, and we will see prosperity in the land because we have a good government. I thank you, Father God, in the name of Jesus, we pray for our opposition right now, Father God. In the name of Jesus, they may not understand it, but the words that will come out of our opposition, Father God, will be words of peace, will be words of love, will be words of unity, Father Lord Jesus Christ, because they are good people, Father God. We believe in them, Lord Jesus Christ. So, Father God, I thank you, Lord Jesus Christ, that they are also keeping our government in check. I thank you, Father God, they are good people. You love them, Father God, as much as you love me, as much as you love this church, you love them, Father God. So, Lord Jesus Christ, I declare, Father God, that this is a nation and this is a country that you love, Father God. There will always be peace in, the, in these borders. There will always be unity and prosperity here, Father God. We invite you, Jesus, to be sovereign and king over this country, Father God. So we thank you, Father God, that we forgive everyone who come up against us, Father God. We forgive everybody who wants to do us harm and to come up against us and to hate us and to persecute us, Father God. But in the name of Jesus, we bless them. We bless them, Lord Jesus Christ. Give them prosperity. Give them health. Give them peace. Give them security that they know who they are in you, Father God. So I thank you, Lord Jesus Christ, that you are a good God. We will always pray and bless this country. We will always pray and bless our families. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Amen. You may take your seats. We may not understand like I do not understand. We may not understand in the economy of God how when we pray and bless, you see it says here, give and it will be given unto you. God has already promised that when you are generous and you give out and you lend without expecting it in return, you lend without incurring interest, you give, God has already promised that it will be given unto you. But I don't understand how. And I still, up to today, in the economy of God, how is it, Lord Jesus, that if I give somebody $50 from my bank account, I will have negative 50? How is it that if from your heavenly bank account, you will deposit $50 into my bank account. Now, I tell you what, I don't understand how that works, but all I understand is that He is the God that I trust. He is the God that I put my faith in. When He says it will be done, it will be done. I don't need to understand the process of how God is going to get me done, get it done. I don't understand how God is going to return the $50 and more. I don't know who He's working with in order to bless me back, but all I know is that God says it will be done, it will be done. A simple faith and a simple obedience to our King Jesus. And that is not hard to read, but very hard to do. Very hard to live out. But I tell you what, if God says to do it, is it impossible? No. It will never be impossible. If it's impossible, God will have never commanded us to do it. It is not impossible. But it is only possible if our heart follows after Jesus. It is only possible to forgive somebody that has offended you for 20 years. That person will never say sorry. 
That person will never admit guilt, will never say they are wrong. But it's not impossible to forgive because we understand that Jesus on that cross forgave us of our sins even though we never said sorry to Him. Have we ever once said sorry for the sins that we commit? Have we ever gone to Jesus and said sorry for ABC? But Jesus says, son, my daughter, I don't need you to say sorry for everything, but I need you to know that if you follow me and you profess that I'm your king, I forgive you because of what I've done on that cross for you. My blood was spilt for you even yet while you were sinners, even before you even understood that you're a sinner, even before you even think of the word sorry and wrong. Even if you think you're not wrong, you're all right, you didn't do anything wrong, and Jesus says you are wrong, but you don't know it because you are an ignorant child, like all child sometimes are ignorant, but Jesus says, I still forgive you nonetheless. How difficult it is for us to forgive somebody who have hurt us, even though they never said sorry. But Jesus says, if you follow me, you will forgive. And I'm calling SIBNs today, forgive those who slander you. Forgive those who hurt you. Forgive those who hate you for who you stand for, that is Jesus Christ. When you forgive, God will work. When we pray, God will work. When we follow after Jesus, oh, I truly believe God will work. But if you're going to ask me how, I, Pastor Isaac, Jesus, tell me the process of how it works. I scoured the Bible quite a few times. There is no process. Because God says, His ways are higher than your ways. His thoughts are higher than your thoughts. He doesn't need you to understand how it works, the whole mechanism of it. I know we're all, half of us are engineers here. Please give me the process of how this, this bridge was built and how it can sustain how many tons of lorries that goes over it. God says, I don't need you to understand. All I need you to do is just do what I've called you to do. Where is your heart? Because if you struggle with praying for your enemies, if you struggle with giving and being generous, if you struggle with forgiveness, if you struggle and you always judge and you always condemn, then this question is for you. Does your heart trust Jesus? Because where your trust is, your actions will follow. Because if I don't trust Jesus to be my provider, I would hold my money tight because it is mine. I would hold and withhold my forgiveness because I don't trust that Jesus, you would free me from these shackles of unforgiveness. I don't trust that I can be forgiven and I don't trust that person will ever forgive me. Therefore, I will never forgive. I don't trust. I won't pray and I won't bless my enemies because I don't trust that God, it will make a difference. And up to today, sometimes I still don't understand. And that's okay. We wrestle with God, just like Jacob wrestled with God. I'm sure Joseph wrestled with God in the prison. I'm sure Paul wrestled with God because of his thorns. I'm sure we all wrestle with God. And sometimes I still wrestle with God. God, why should I pray for this person when this person has clearly slandered me without even knowing who I am, my race and my religion? I don't know. How, what effect would it have to pray for such a person? And God says, I didn't ask you to understand the economy of God. I asked you to pray. Will you pray? Because I work when you pray. When you align with spiritual forces, when you align with the spiritual, God says it will manifest in the physical. And we just need to follow. Why I talk about heart so much is that if you read onwards, 
The moment Jesus gave you the to-do list, the blessings, the woes, Jesus gives you the do's and the don'ts. Then he goes on and tells you a parable. And you ask this question, but God, how do I know what's in my heart? And then God says, for no good tree bears bad fruit, nor again does a bad tree bear good fruit. For each tree is known by its own fruit, for figs are not gathered from thorn bushes, nor are grapes picked from a bramble bush. The good person out of the good treasure of his heart produces good, and the evil person out of the treasure produces evil. For out of the abundance of the heart, his mouth speaks. You see, God, has, God says, Disciples, follow me. Then God says, Disciples, here are the blessings and here are the warnings. Then God says, Disciples, I want you to do all these things. And then he says, Disciples, where is your heart? Because God knows where your heart is, there your actions will follow. Where you curse, that is where your heart is. Where you only utter bad things and not good things, there your heart is as well. Where you cannot forgive, there your heart is as well. Where you cannot be generous and you cannot give, there your heart is as well. And God is saying, following Jesus is the matter of your heart. Where is your heart? Because it's not about the content of your doing, not about the content of your bank account, it's not about the content of your career, it's not even the content of your looks. Because with an app, you can just filter and change your looks, just like that. Yeah, yeah, you know what I'm talking about. I'm glad, right? Bold glamour. Anyways, um, but God says, it's about the content of your heart. Because where your heart is, there you can love. Where your heart is, there you can forgive and give. And you can trust that God has your back. But here is where I struggle, and I want to be honest with you. I struggle because I ask God, God, what if my heart is evil? Because you told me my heart is evil. Didn't Scripture say that my heart is deceitful above all else? Didn't Scripture say that my heart is evil beyond all else? So God says, how can I produce anything good if everything in me, my fleshly desires, want to do evil? I, I want to be angry. I want to take vengeance and revenge against those who slander me. I want to because it feels good. It feels good to have vengeance on my hand. It feels good to know that a person suffered and justice was done. It feels good. But how? How can I do good when my heart is evil? How will I be able to forgive when I know I'm struggling with it myself? How? And that's a good question. But how? But how? Oh man, I, I prayed for quite some time because I always don't believe that I can't practice what I preach. And God says, there is only one way, only one way. And it's found in the next parable. And that's why Luke did it this way. You see, right after the contents of your heart, God says, look at verse 46. Verse 46 says, why do you call me Lord, Lord, and not do what I tell you? I says, God, what has, it got to, what, what has it got to do with my heart? What has it got to do with my heart? What has it got to do with doing it? What has it got to do with, I can't do what you tell me because my heart is not in the right place because you said my heart is deceitful above all else. So how can I do what you tell me to do? 
and I'm going to read it. Everyone who comes to me hears my word and does them. I will show you what he is like. He is like a man building a house who dug deep and laid the foundation on the rock. And when a flood arose, the stream broke against that house and could not shake it because it had been well built. But the one who hears and does not do them is like a man who built a house on the ground without a foundation. When the stream rose against it, immediately it fell. And the ruin of that house was great. And I said, God, what does this got to do with the content of my heart? And God says, it's simple, son. There is a currency for following Jesus. There is a currency. The currency is obedience. That's the currency. Do it. But God, I don't understand. Do it. But God, why? Do it. But God, Jesus, can you explain to me the carrot or the stick? Do it. God says, I demand obedience. If you love me, you will obey me. But Jesus, I don't understand. And you know me. You, if you know me, I need to understand the process in order to get behind it. But Jesus said, no. When you follow me, your obedience means more to me than sacrifice. Your obedience is what is the currency that will build your foundation in Jesus Christ. You see, for the longest of time as I grew up, I always read this verse, and I thought the foundations of the house is the Word of God and the Scripture, and you've got to be strong in the Scripture, you've got to be strong in the Word of God. Now, that is true. It is true. You cannot be strong in Jesus if you're not strong in the Word of God. You're not strong in Scripture. That's your foundation. But Jesus says, you see, when I tie these two things together, the foundations of your house, how strong you are as a Christian, all rest on your obedience to me. Your obedience to me will slowly build the foundation of your house. Because if you can obey me in this small little thing, then the next small little thing, and slowly it's going to build into a solid foundation that is the rock of your faith. And next time when the storm hits you in the face, you go, I will not be moved because I've obeyed. And when I obeyed, I saw Jesus came through for me. I will not be Jesus is saying, obedience is the key because your heart may be deceitful above all else because we are all born with a sinful nature. But the moment we take one step in obedience, our heart begins to change because 2 Corinthians 5.17 says that we are all a new creation in Jesus Christ. But that new creation is not instantaneous. We don't suddenly transform into someone else, but it's a slow journey of discipleship that God is bringing us through. That journey of discipleship, the currency of that journey is obedience. When God says, you pray for that person, you say yes, and that builds your foundation. When God says, you read your Bible, you say yes, that builds another foundation. When God says, you come to church and you say yes, you bring your children to church even though they're crying and they're screaming, you say yes, that builds another foundation. God says, I tell you what, you do X, you do Y, you do Z. It builds your foundation day by day by day. But do you understand what would happen to you? You don't. You see, I pull several examples of obedience in my life. And I just thought of it this morning that, you know, I really admire you know the Asbury Revival? Dr. Liao, he was an MBS lecturer. He left his job because God told him to go to Asbury to pray for revival three years ago. 
where there was revival was nowhere to be found. When COVID hit the country, what about revival? We're all talking about COVID. He heard God and he obeyed. Did he understand? No, I don't want. I had the privilege of listening to his testimony and he said no. Did he understand when revival would happen? No. Did he understand how it would happen? No. Did he understand who and where it's going to hit? No. But all he said, and I remember very clearly, he said, all I did was I heard my Saviour, my Lord, and I obeyed. And he obeyed not just one day, not just three days, not just three months. He obeyed for three years and God rewarded his obedience and revival hit. Because sometimes when we tarry in prayer, it is not just one day God asks you to obey. God is asking you to obey three years and then you will see the fruits of your obedience. But why three years? I don't know. Because God says three years and His way is higher than my way. His knowing is higher than my knowing. I can't explain it to you and I don't have an answer. But when my commander-in-chief says, obey, we obey. You see, yesterday I was taking a group of young adults through prayer. And they're beautiful people through prayer. And in that prayer session, I said, what is one thing you want to learn about Jesus? And somebody said, I want to learn what it means that He's the Lord of hosts. He's Jehovah Sabaoth. He's the Lord of hosts. I said, excellent question. Let's go through it. So we studied the Lord of hosts. And I said, at the end of the day, is God your commander-in-chief? Yes. Is He your general in charge? Yes. When He says, charge, you charge? Yes. Then what is the attribute that the general and the commander-in-chief is asking of His soldiers? Obedience. That is the currency of Jehovah Sabaoth. The soldiers of God are obedient. You see, we don't have to tell the commander-in-chief, commander-in-chief, can you fight these battles for me? Can you go into this area of my life and fight these battles for me? And commander-in-chief is saying, no, 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 no. I'm fighting this battle in this direction. You follow where I want you to go. And our job is to obey and say, yes. I will go. Can you imagine a group of soldiers? When the general says go, the soldier says no. <laughs> you know, no, I want to go in this way. I want to go that way. You will never win the war. And that's why sometimes we ask ourselves, why can't I win my spiritual warfare? Why, can't, why am I so struggling with this issue for so long? Because the key is obedience. Obedience unlocks your victory in your life. And when the commander-in-chief says, fight, says, go, says, do, all we have to say is, how high, how long, how much do you want me to go? I will go. I will give you my all. I will obey. You know, in my, in my personal life, you know, just last year, I went to a conference by Dr. John. And at the end of the conference, what they made us pastors do is to sign a pledge of a covenant, right? It says, I will pledge covenant to pray. I will grow my prayer group, uh, so on and so forth. All right, if you want to know what the covenant are, I welcome you come and study theology and come and be a pastor, okay? <laughs> but in that, I took it seriously. I says, God, this is my covenant to you that I will pray, I will intercede, and I'll grow a group of prayer. But at that time, how many months ago was that? I can't remember. But at that time, I was going, man, it's halfway through COVID. How are we ever going to do this? If I call young adults to pray, who would answer my call? If I call young adults now, come and join my prayer group, how many of you will answer my call? All right, okay, there we go. All right, so I says, God, how? But I says, I don't know, by faith, 
I will obey. I will do it. And God, you, you, you show up for me. And by God's grace, I yes, last just two weeks, you see, it took six months to see the fruit of my, of my obedience. Just two weeks ago, this young guy, he's 23 years old. He came up to me and says, Pastor, I heard you have a prayer discipleship group. I love prayer. Can I join? And I go, wow, oh, wow. <laughs> this is a 23-year-old young man. And I go, wow. And I had a couple that came up to me and says, God, I pray discipleship group. I heard, can I join? Because I want to learn how to pray. I says, God, it's your obedience that unlocks victory. It is not what I do. It's nothing, right? I don't know who these people are. But it's obedience. It's obedience. And obedience will grow your heart. You sow the seed of obedience, a fig tree will grow instead of a bramble bush. And this is a call for SIVKL to obey. So my last question is, will your heart obey Jesus? Will you obey? Will you? Because if you don't, then I gotta ask the next question. Why do you call Jesus Lord? But why do you call Him Lord? I'm sorry I have to ask the hard questions, but that's scripture. I'm not, I'm not asking Isaac Ling's question. I'm just repeating scripture. Verse 46, if you don't want to obey, then verse 46 is asking you the question, but why do you call me Lord and not do what I say? But I truly believe that we are a church that obeys. I truly believe deep down in my heart that we are a church who loves God. I truly believe deep down in my heart that because we love God, we will obey God. And I don't know what that means for you. What is your obedience step? What is your step of obedience? What is your step of breakthrough? I don't know, I can't speak for you, but for some of us, it could be the step of forgiveness that seemed to be gripping so many people in the MCO. It could be the step of forgiveness. It could be the step of generosity to give. It could be the step of trust to say, God, I trust you. It could be the step to come to prayer altars every Tuesday night. I invite you, please come. All right, sometimes I sit at the back. You can join me there. Sometimes I sit in the front. You can join me there. I invite you. That could be your step of obedience. But if you want to see breakthrough, if you want to see fruits like a fig tree, if you want to see fruits in your life, then Jesus is calling you to follow Him in obedience. And what does that mean for you? It's a question that only you can answer. It could be to serve in the church put that off for far too long. It could be to step up in your cell leadership and you put that off for far too long. It could be to pray and you put that off for far too long. Or it could be as simple as, I want to start. This is mine. I was going to tell my wife tomorrow. It could be, <laughs> I'll tell everybody. <laughs> Might as well. It could be to start a, a prayer altar in the home now that my son is turning three. Because I told God when my son understands what prayer means at three years old, I'll start one is turning three next month. I says, God, I want to start one. Do you know that in children's ministry, my eldest son came back singing Holy Forever. <laughs> and I was like, where did you learn that song? Hero ministry, there we go. Thank you so much, children's ministry. They sung Holy Forever. They sang, I, I saw the clip. And then my son came back home. He sung Holy Forever in the car. And my, my wife and I were just looking back. Wait, hold up. <laughs> where did you learn? Why, how? Like, thank you, Jesus. But yes, good job. You know, shocked but it's time. That's my next step of obedience. What is yours? What is yours? Do you
you follow Jesus. I'm not going to do an altar call because it's far too wide, it's far too reaching. But if you, if the Holy Spirit is speaking to you today to take that step, whatever that step may be, that's one step in obedience. I invite you to stand. Stand. There's something in me. God, I want to obey. God, I want to obey. God, I, I don't know your word. But in SIBKL this year, when I join a cell group, we are doing Bible in two years. It's tough. I've never even read Bible in 10 years. But I'm going to try. That is your step of obedience. And I want to pray for you because I believe, I believe that we are an obedient people. We are an obedient church. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Jesus. Just lift your hands to Jesus as I pray for you. Thank you, Father God. Lord Jesus, I declare in the name of Jesus Christ that SIBKL, we are an obedient church. We are a church that loves you with all our heart. And because we love you, we will obey you. But is it difficult, God? Yes, I'm struggling, Jesus. But Father God, give me that strength. Give me that grace to finish the race. Give me the strength to fight my battles. Give me the strength to resist the temptation, to be lazy, to be resist the temptation, to do nothing. But Father God, we are an obedient church. We will step up, rise up, and we will obey you, Lord Jesus Christ. Whatever it may be, Father God, we will obey. And Father Lord Jesus, just like the parable, when the storm hits our house in the next week, and in two weeks' time, if the storm hits our house in the name of Jesus, we will not be shaken. We will not be moved. So we speak to the storm. Come what may, the waves, you can rise as high as you want. The storms, you can blow as hard as you want. But we will not be shaken because Jesus is on our side. Because when Jesus says obey, we will obey. When Jesus says I will be with you in the hard times and in the good times, we believe Jesus, you are in the boat with us, Lord God. You are in my house. My house will never be shaken. My house will never fall and the legacy that I have as a Christian will last from a generation to generations to generations because it all starts with the seed of obedience. The seed of obedience. So in the name of Jesus, right now prophetically, we plant that seed of obedience in all our hearts. Father God, grow that seed into a beautiful fig tree, Lord Jesus Christ. We plant that seed of obedience. So right now, as you speak, Holy Spirit, to each and every one of us here, Father God, what step of, of obedience that we want to take? Lord Jesus Christ, I declare that we will have the strength, they will have the grace, they will have the mercies, they will have the love, and they will have the empowerment of the Holy Spirit to obey to the latter, and Lord Jesus Christ, I believe there's going to be a powerful breakthrough in this church. There will be a powerful move in this church. There will be a powerful uprising of spirituality in this church because a thousand generations is gonna cry holy. A thousand generations will cry holy. Thank you, Jesus. Father God, we are an obedient church. We are an obedient people, Father God. We do not need to understand your economy. We do not need to understand your processes. But Father Lord Jesus, I declare, Father God, we will obey every step of the way. Father God, where you say go, we will go. Where you say stop, we will stop. Where you say move, we will move. Because Father God, you are my commander in chief. 
Lord Jesus Christ, you lead the way, Father God, and I am your sheep. You are my shepherd. Where you go, I will go, Lord Jesus. So Father God, you said in scriptures, obedience is better than sacrifice. And we will obey. We will obey. We will obey. So in the name of Jesus, I thank you, God, that you are a good God. Give us the strength and grace to finish the race. Give us the strength and grace to obey. And I thank you, Father God. I cannot wait to hear stories and testimonies of breakthrough because of our obedience. We thank you, Lord. We love you, Lord. In Jesus' name we say, Amen. Amen, church. God bless you. Thank you so much. Visit us. I want to say hello to you at the hospitality one floor down. God bless you, church. Have a great week ahead.